This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Yes, indeed. And I am joined from the University of Minnesota, Mary Meyer. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Dennis. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well, thank you. Just staying inside, uh, keeping the AC going. Uh, make sure I'm paying the electric bill and all of that. How about you? <laughs> yes, well, I am inside to do the show today, but there's lots going on in the garden. We always wait for this time of year. People are starting to harvest tomatoes, zucchini, our warm season vegetables are coming in. So lots of things going on in the garden. And I, uh, well, we'll always, we like to talk about the Arboretum, but before we do that, uh, I'm I'm thinking about uh, the forecast I just heard, and we've been talking all morning about uh, the excessive heat warning, and besides our own personal safety, what about our lawns and gardens, shrubs and trees? Is there anything outside of watering we can do to, to, to help them out? Well, watering, as you mentioned, really is critical. Um, I couldn't believe it, but there was three inches of rain in my rain gauge this morning when I looked at it. Yes, Mm. really. So that was amazing. But um, watering is critical. If you have not watered, especially newly planted trees or shrubs, things that you put in this year, uh, if you have not watered them, uh, excessive heat can be a problem. Um, Most of our established plants are okay once uh, we get to this uh, warm weather conditions. Uh, The other thing we see in vegetable crops, we do see uh, less fruit set in tomatoes and peppers. So when it gets too hot, those blossoms will just fall off rather than uh, produce fruit. Uh, Julie Weisenhorn did a nice article that's on our website in the Yard and Garden News about gardening in hot weather. And then with lawns, the best thing to do with your lawn is let it grow a little bit longer. Uh, Don't uh, keep mowing it. Let it grow a little bit longer. That will give it more uh, reserves and carbohydrates to go through the heat. Yeah, good idea. Uh, and we are, do expect some more thunderstorms uh, overnight tonight. Not quite like uh, this morning, but uh, still uh, will be happening. We'll get a break in the action tomorrow. I want to invite our listeners, Mary, to join in on the conversation. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, you know how busy we tend to get this hour. Uh, 651-989-9226. That'll get you a phone call with Mary. It will also get you a text question if you want to use that method if that is easier. Well, Mary, before we grab a text or two, let's go to the phones. I think Liz is calling from Mound, Minnesota. Liz, you are on with Mary Meyer. Good morning. 
Um, I have a question pertaining to, um, this is the first year I planted tomatoes in pots and I'm already getting blossom rot. And I went to your website and it states I need to fertilize, but what kind of fertilizer do I need to use? Well, you you can use a liquid fertilizer that you uh, do regularly when you're watering. You can use a slow-release fertilizer that you put on top of the container. Uh, but blossom end rot is usually uh, a, an indication of fluctuation in availability of water. So this is, can happen with containers, of course, because they can dry out quickly. Most containers in the summer need to be watered every day so that you want to water them until the water runs out the bottom of the pot. That equally equal available moisture uh, day after day is what prevents blossom end rot. So pay attention, especially with this hot weather, to watering regularly. And then, uh, yeah, the, I would use, a, if you have a choice, I would use the slow-release fertilizer. Okay. Thank you, Liz. Again, 651-989-9226. Uh, New Brighton is our next stop. Ron, I think, is on the uh, line for you, Mary. Uh, Ron, go ahead. Mary's listening. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. I'm calling about rhubarb. Uh, this year, my rhubarb has been very spindly, and uh, we never pick it after the 4th of July. But anyway, now it, it's already starting to die down, but usually doesn't happen until fall. And so I don't know if something's wrong with it. The only thing I've done different this year is last fall I spread some horse manure on there for fertilizer. Uh, horse manure is great for rhubarb, Ron. It really likes that. I don't think you did anything wrong. Rhubarb doesn't like heat, and it doesn't grow well with heat. It, almost, it will almost lay down and wilt. And so I think really just what you're seeing is heat stress. There are a couple of diseases that, that will come then when the plants are under excessive heat stress. But um, I would the only thing I do is give it additional water. If you have not had sufficient rain, I would uh, think about watering it. But otherwise, I think uh, as the weather cools up, you'll see that it will look better. Okay, good news. Again, 651-989-9226. Let's grab, grab some uh, text messages, Mary, before we take a break. Here's one. It says, we don't have one bud on our hydrangeas. What can we do or should have done? Well, it's probably a factor of what kind of hydrangea you have. Um, I looked at my hydrangea macrophylla endless summer the other day, and I agree, there's not a single bud on that plant so far. One might come. Uh, but those, uh, there are certain kinds that are uh, more difficult for us to grow in Minnesota. But if you get the, the bigger ones, paniculata, or the, uh, the PG, the old uh, uh, hydrangea, the arborescence is another one, um, those are much hardier, and those are the ones that we see blooming right now. So there, there are multiple kinds of hydrangea. Some are hardier than others. Uh, the only other thing would be to um, think about moving it if it's not in full sun, because hydrangeas, if it gets too shady, that can affect how many blooms they have. 
Let's grab another text, Mary. Uh, here's one. It says, I have an, an, an magnolia bush. The leaves are discolored, and I'm getting pink flowers again. It looks like blight. Uh, please help. My uh, bush is young, less than one year old. What's going on there? Gosh, that's amazing. Getting pink flowers again. That's really cool. Uh, sometimes we see that when we have excessive temperature conditions, either really hot or really cool conditions uh, for a few days will cause uh, flower buds to, uh, to reflower on certain of our shrubs. Probably the most common problem now, unfortunately, with magnolias is the scale insect. And the scale insect causes uh, a blackening, discoloration. And these insects are, uh, they look like little white pieces of cotton all along the stem, especially the undersides of the stem. So I would urge this um the person, the gardener, to uh, go to our extension.umn.edu website and look for Magnolia Scale. And then you can see the pictures that will be there to talk about. First, you want to make sure that that is the problem. And if you have Magnolia Scale, you can try insecticidal soaps or spraying them off with water. But coming up in late August, uh, you can also use a chemical treatment. That's the most uh, vulnerable time for the scale on magnolia. Okay. I'll tell you what, Mary, let's take a quick break. Invite our listeners again to join in on the conversation. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, call it in or text it in, 651-989-9226. And good morning. Welcome to our Smart Garden Show. Denny Long here with Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. Uh, Mary, what's going on at the uh, Arboretum these days? Well, the Arboretum is open. And I just looked at the website this morning. If you'd like to go today, you can get reservations. You can get reservations for tomorrow and really any day for the next couple of weeks. You do need to have a ticket. Members get in free, of course, with their membership. Other uh, adults are $15 each. You sign up online for a time to go, and then uh, you get your ticket online and just show that barcode when you go into the Arboretum. So the uh, grounds are open for walking. We have designated walkways. Lots of things are blooming there. The um, hydrangeas, shrub roses, lilies, many beautiful lilies are blooming. And also uh, the annual garden with shades of red and pink. So lots of things to do at the Arboretum. Just go to the website and sign up for a time. Yeah, easy easy to find, too. Just go to Western Highway 5 to 41, roughly, and you'll see the, the signage there for sure. Right. Uh, it's just a great look. It's just, it's just a great resource. 651-989-9226 is our phone number if you want to chat with Mary or uh, send Mary a text. Same number applies. Let's go back to the phones. I think Laura is calling from St. Paul this morning. Good morning. Laura, you are on with Mary. Hi, good morning. This is a really serious problem with weeds on our block that are traveling, and we've been told that they may be poisonous. They come from a neighbor's yard who's at the corner of the block, and they're a tall weed. They have a little white flower like the size of a, of a, a penny coin, and in the center it's a yellow color. So, so they're uh, a tall white flower with 
um, yellow centers. Do you know anything about this weed, and can it be poisonous? It's going from yard to yard, and it's invading all kinds of bushes. Um, I wish I could identify that for you, Laura, but without a picture or seeing that uh, particular plant, it's quite difficult. It sounds like it's a member of the composite or aster or daisy family, but that's really just a guess. So I would encourage you to take a picture of this plant if you can. Uh, Standing back takes a whole picture to show the height of it, and then get up close and take a picture of the flowers, the leaves. You can send your pictures to the Ask a Master Gardener website on our extension.umn.edu website. When you send in a picture, the Master Gardeners will do their best to identify it. Um, They will consult with specialists and um, figure out what that is. There's also uh, a website with the pictures on it on on, uh, on our extension website with what weed is this. So between those two resources, I hopefully you'll be able to find out what it is. Yeah, again, a great resource at the website. We'll repeat that before Mary leaves us today as well. Uh, let's see. We have so many text messages too, Mary. Here's one. It says, when can I prune? Uh, two, two questions about pruning. Uh, one is when for boomerang lilacs and when can I prune wygelia? Okay, boomerang lilac and uh, wygelia. So lilac, we like to bl- to prune them right after they have finished flowering. So that was like a month or six weeks ago now. So lilacs form their buds already starting in July for next spring. So if you prune that lilac now, you'll be cutting off buds that could flower. And, of course, boomerang gets that name for going to come back again and bloom again in the fall. So pruning now would take off any blooms later this year and the ones next spring. So I would wait till right after blooming, uh, like Memorial Day next spring. Um, let's see. What was the what was the other one? Oh, Wygelia. Wygelia does bloom a little bit later, but there again, I would wait on that. If you're interested in having flowers next year, I would wait to prune it. If you're okay with sacrificing the flowers for a year, you could prune either of these. You won't kill the plant. It's just that you're going to remove the flower buds for next year. Maria Textures has a well-established maple tree with gall. The texture noticed it two years ago, but none last year. It's present again this year. Will it harm the tree? Is there any cure for that? Maples tend to get a lot of galls, which are these kind of weirdo things on the leaves from tar spots that are black spots to little things that look like uh, needles sticking up. Uh, Some look like freckles and so on. Some of those galls are made by insects. Most of the most of galls are by insects. Uh, the tar spot is a, a disease one, a fungal disease. But uh, none of these are fatal on maples. Uh, they tend to be just more of a cosmetic thing, a minor issue. Uh, sanitation, cleaning up the leaves in the fall every year and removing them off site, will often clean up uh, and 
and help reduce the problem. But it's nothing worth uh, doing any uh, chemical treatment for at all. The the plants can live fine uh, with galls. Okay. I know we have to break here momentarily, but let's grab another text, Mary. Texter wants to know, when can I cut down my peony plants? I would not cut down your peonies yet. Um, peonies uh, will grow and produce a lot of carbohydrates to put those down in the roots. I would wait until, um, well, actually, I wait until the, towards the end of the growing season if I'm just cutting my peonies back. They tend to get botrytis and have a fungal disease that if you uh, promote sanitation, cleaning up that uh, diseased foliage in the fall, that will help. So if you're just cutting them back, I would wait until uh, September. Uh, uh, unless they're really heavily with disease, then you can take them out when you see a lot of disease. But peonies are one of our plants that we can divide in the fall. So if you're thinking of moving a peony, uh, once you get into August, the weather gets a little cooler, that's a great time to think about moving uh, peonies. I, I just am reading a new book on peonies that's about the history of peonies and the breeding that's been done with peonies. And Minnesota is a great state with a great heritage of peony breeders. And we still have peony farms and breeders in Minnesota. So it's it's one of our great uh, plants. So always fun when listeners call about peonies. Absolutely. Mary, we have to take our usual break. Let's do that, reminding our listeners we have another half hour of the show to go. And we tend to get busy. So if you have a question you want to ask Mary or text Mary, same number, 651-989-9226. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny Long here with Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota with Mary. As usual, a bunch of calls and a bunch of text messages to keep you on your toes here for another 25 minutes or so. Uh, Again, 651-989-9226 is our number, phone number, and text number. Let's grab some phone calls uh, right now, Mary. Bev in Minneapolis has been waiting first up here. Bev, thank you. What is your question? Oh, yes. I would like to know if she has heard of a new, well, some people think it's a flower plant, but it is a weed, and it's called Dame's Rocket. It looks like a uh, flux, but it grows taller, and it has roots that go under and they are terrible roots, and it kills every plant that's next to it. And um, have you yes, heard of that, Mary? Uh, Bev, yes, I have heard of Dame's Rocket. Um, I actually have some growing near uh, me in the uh, kind of wilder area that we have along the Loose Line Trail. Dame's Rocket um, will bloom earlier in the spring. It's pretty much done blooming now. Originally, when this came into Minnesota, there was a lot of alarm about it, thinking that it was going to be the next purple loosestrife, that it would take over huge areas. But it hasn't really uh, been as aggressive as uh, originally we thought uh, it would be. Um, It does spread by seed. Um, It's called Hesperus matronalis. And it's um, 
It's, it does look like phlox, but it's not in the same uh, family as phlox. It's in the mustard family, and mustards are known for a huge number of weeds. I think most of the time, Dame's rocket uh, behaves like a biennial, and it is um, so it'll be a little plant one year, and the second year it will flower, and then it will die. So uh, the first year, you're probably seeing that bigger root system. Then second year, everything goes into the seeds, and then it dies. So one way to control it would be to take the seed and make sure it never goes to seed, and that can reduce it. But it has not been as aggressive as we originally thought about it. But you can have a stand of it. I can understand that, Bev, where you could have a stand of it that would persist for quite a while. So organically mowing it off or removing the seed heads would be good. Okay. Uh, texter wants to ask, uh, says, I have the larger leaf ground clover in my front yard. My lawn service says it will take a few treatments to get rid of this. Does that seem possible? I know you love clover. Yes. So, you know, we have a lot of people planting clover now uh, in a, to make their lawns a bee lawn or a pollinator lawn. Uh, clover, because it can fix nitrogen, uh, it has a very high quality uh, protein that is very uh, good and nutritious for insects, uh, honeybees, especially like clover. Um, it does persist in a lawn. Um, there are some uh, treatments that you can, some people say, well, you can use a broadleaf weed killer and it won't hurt the clover because uh, it is more resistant to 2,4-D, which is our kind of go-to uh, herbicide. Uh, yes, so I think uh, two or three applications is probably right, unless it's very young. And the first year, sometimes it's more uh, susceptible to herbicide damage. But I would consider, you know, uh, thinking about, is that really a weed in your lawn? And kind of changing your attitude to think of, can I live with clover? It fixes nitrogen. It makes nitrogen available for the turf grass. Then you can fertilize less and it can feed pollinators. So it's not really that bad a plant. All right. Uh, let's go back to the phones, Mary. Jack is calling from Andover with a question. Jack, you are on uh, with Mary. Yeah, Mary. Two questions. One regarding my lilacs that set a lot of buds this year, but the flowers never did open. And one thing about we planted an heirloom purple tomato plant this year, and one of the larger ones, they turned all purple, but now it seems to be turning more of a rosy red. Any thoughts? So I'm not sure why your lilac did not uh, bloom. That's always frustrating. I will say the lilacs are one of our toughest plants, and hopefully next year uh, it will just do better. Um, I, again, that's a plant that doesn't really like the excessive heat, and so hopefully next year it, it will do better. Uh, th those plants like full sun conditions, and if it's fairly new, you should think about watering it. But um, other, otherwise, uh, hopefully it will bloom next year. So the purple heirloom tomato, uh, th those can be a big, big plant, sometimes a big plant. Um, I'm not sure what's turning red. Are the fruits actually turning red or if the plant is turning red? But the fruit is turning red. Oh, okay. So sometimes it's, it's, I, I can't, that. I don't know. Um, 
sometimes the fruit will be red and then turn purple, but more of those purple varieties, they go from green to purple. So it, it could be just a timing thing. I would leave a couple of those fruits on the vine and see what happens. Uh, the purple ones I've grown go from green to purple, or they always have a purple cast in it. The other thing is, is it could have been mislabeled. Unless you grew it yourself from seed, it might have gotten a, uh, the wrong label on at the garden center. All right. Let's go back to, to the phones. I think Rick has been waiting. I know we have so many uh, callers and texters. Uh, Rick and Blaine, I think, is next up on CCO. Rick, go ahead. Hi, Mary. I love this show. Uh, I'm a rookie. I retired, so this is my new passion here. So I'm, I did well with gladiolas. I took a shot at a rose bush this year, and I didn't cover it on one of those freezes, so I thought no luck is going to be this year. But you know what? I got them. I got little yellow and orange roses. And I'm just wondering, one, the the uh, branches seem to, you know, kind of get weighed down. And, you know, I thought it'd be uh, good for a little support. So I actually put one of the tomato cages over it to give it some support, you know, because the branches cropped up. But the other thing is, once they shrivel and go, am I supposed to be trimming those, looking for some more blooms? Or do I just get what I get and just keep watering and let it fly? Uh, the more you can cut off those dead flowers on the rose bush, the better. Deadheading really can help it bloom again. Most of our shrub roses will be just fine without deadheading, but if you want to really give it that extra attention, you can. And the shrub roses really can bloom a long time. Um, I have Forever Wild, which is a li- or nearly wild. I'm, sh- I'm sorry, <laughs> nearly wild. And um, nearly wild can start blooming in June, and it can bloom up in, in through November even if it isn't really cold. So the shrub roses can really be a great, uh, plant to put in your landscape and good for you and giving it that little um, extra support. And he sounds like more than a rookie too to me, doesn't he? That's right. <laughs> there's, there's a text, Barry, I know we have to break here in a minute. Uh, a local company has informed me, Texter says, that two of my trees have apple scab. Is this something I can treat myself or I do do I need to use their services? Well, apple scab is not fatal, but it can weaken a tree and it can cause total defoliation by the end of a summer. If we have wet conditions, high humidity, that scab can get over all of the foliage. And that's it's like a brown spot that can increase in size and cover up the foliage and then the whole the foliage can uh, totally fall off the tree. Uh, what you can do as a homeowner is sanitation, clean up around that tree, keep, remove the foliage as it falls down, and then remove it off-site, put it in your municipal compost or your uh, your own compost as far away as possible uh, from that tree. Um, you know, if I had apple scab, I would not use a chemical control. Uh, it's a preventative control anyway. You've got to put that on before the scab starts growing. So you have to cover the tree when the leaves are looking good in the spring. Most homeowners can't do that with the equipment a homeowner has to cover a small tree with a chemical to be a preventative control. Uh, so I, I really think about that. If you get scab really badly, 
You should think about getting an apple tree that's resistant to scab. These are available. We have them listed up on the website uh, at extension.umn.edu. Excellent. All right, tell you what, Mary, we'll take a quick break. Be right back. We have phone callers. We have texters to help out on our Smart Garden Show every uh, Saturday here in the 8 o'clock hour on News Talk 830 WCCO. We'll be right back. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour on CCO this morning. Denny Long here with Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. And, Mary, we have, uh, boy, we have so many so many folks to help out here yet. Nancy has been call, uh, is calling from Plymouth, I think, hanging on for quite a while. Nancy, thank you. What is your question? Hi, Mary. Thank you so much for taking my call. I have a hibiscus tree that I got last year. I brought it in for the winter. It survived. And when I put it back outside this spring or early summer, I think, um, I don't know what happened, but I've only got about six branches with green leaves on. The rest of the leaves dried out, and now it's flowering. But I'm just wondering, should I trim back the branches with the brown leaves on? Are you there, Mary? I'm here, Denny. Can you hear me? There, there, you're, ba- you're back. Good. Technology. It's great when it works. Uh, Nancy, would you could you rephrase your question? She's gone. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, technology. Yeah, it was about it's hibiscus, great when it works. Yeah, I'm not uh, quite, I, I can't remember exactly what she said about the hibiscus. Uh only half the branches came back, Dennis tells me. What do you think could be happening there, Mary? Uh, that was a hibiscus with only half the branches? Yes. Yeah, hibiscus is not hardy in Minnesota, so you've got to keep that in as a house plant, a container plant. And um, it can be quite vigorous, but in a container it's going to have, uh, you know, it can get bigger and bigger, and you got to keep getting a bigger and bigger container. So it, um, most people keep it as a smaller plant and cut it back. But I, I would say uh, maybe repot it would be a good idea. Okay. Oh, we have so many text messages. Let's do kind of a lightning round here, Mary. Here's one. If, uh, if I prune back old mock orange shrubs severely, will they come back? Yeah, they might. Uh, it's kind of a risk. If that plant is really healthy and well-established, yes, I think it can come back. Um, I, I would encourage you to cut it back by a third and then take some of the stems out at the base. So rather than risk losing the whole thing, I would do kind of a heavy pruning on it. Uh, that uh, mockhorn, that blooms, you could do that right now. That's more of a summer blooming shrub than the spring ones like the lilac. So I, if you want to prune it, uh, I, I wouldn't take it down to the ground unless you're okay with maybe it'll die. Okay. Texter wants to know, is putting eggshells in coffee grounds on potted tomatoes beneficial? You can do both of those things. Uh, there's a certain amount of calcium in um, eggshells. 
And coffee grounds are another uh, source of organic matter, uh, especially if the plants are in containers, that's a smaller uh, soil mass that you could possibly influence with that. Um, it, it shouldn't hurt uh, to do that, but um, sometimes we hear the calcium in uh, the eggshells will help to reduce blossom end rot. But really, that's more of a water fluctuation thing. But uh, yes, you can do that. Okay. Dexter wants to know what plants will grow best under an evergreen tree. So you want to look for plants that will tolerate dry shade conditions. Uh, And think about some of our native wildflowers, because the native wildflowers are growing in those conditions all the time. Uh, something like the wild uh, geraniums. Some of our uh, cultivated geraniums that come from around the world, those make very nice ground covers. Um, evergreen ground covers like Gavinka could also work in a situation like that. Of course, hosta. Uh, hosta will grow in almost any conditions, and um, under evergreens, that's a possibility. We do have information on that uh, shade gardening up in the website, extension.umn.edu. That is such a great resource, extension.umn.edu. Check it out, especially during a hot day like this. Stay cool, and uh, and you'll get a lot of information out of that uh, wonderful w- website. Uh, Mary, here's a text that says, a neighbor recently built a structure that now mostly shades my dwarf irises. Uh, he or she wants to know, should I move them to a sunnier location now or wait until spring? Uh, actually, this is almost the ideal time to dig and divide iris. Uh, they tend to go dormant in the late summer, uh, well, midsummer, late summer. It's kind of ended July. And so it's a perfect time to move iris. They do much better if they have sunny conditions. Uh, the dwarf kind are especially nice. Some of those are the earlier ones that bloom. So, yeah, I would think about doing that now. Okay. And how do you control, Texter says, water level on a large pot that does not self-drain? Oh, that's hard. Okay, so a large. Large is kind of a red flag here. Um, normally, I would say try to tip the pot on its side. You know, water water the plant well. And when you think, okay, it's going to be down in the bottom, then tip the plant on its side or try to yeah, move it over so the excess water will drain off. There are very few plants that can live with their roots standing in water. And that is a real challenge when it doesn't drain out of a pot. I would consider... Um, Changing what you've got going on there, uh, maybe get another pot that's just smaller than this pot and uh, one that has a drain hole so that you can pick it up, water it outside of this second container, and then put it back in there. Uh, that, that's really tough. Only, only plants that are kind of aquatic will uh, live any long term in a situation like that. There's a Japanese beetle question, Mary. The texture says, how often do you need to spray for them, and is seven okay for flowers? My gosh, this is the 25th question today, and here we are at the Japanese beetle. I thought that would be our number one question. Um, 
So the Japanese beetle is kind of at its peak, I think, about now with the adults feeding. And uh, spraying seven, S-E-V-I-N, is something we don't really recommend much anymore because seven is very fatal to, a, it's got broad spectrum insecticide, will kill a lot of our pollinators that are out there. And uh, yes, these beetles can be on your flowers, but so are the pollinators. So the timing with seven, it's really a, a do not use that insecticide on flowers because you'll kill so many pollinators. Um, we, we have a lot of biological controls listed on our website for Japanese beetles, uh, collecting them early in the morning, using uh, something that's like a, um, a screen over the plant or a fabric cover that you can exclude the beetles from, um, trapping them in other locations on other plants. Uh, hand-picking them, that's not so much of a, uh, I think I said that already. But I would encourage you to look at the extension.umn.edu website for Japanese beetle control. Um, and, um, and yes, seven would be the last resort. Okay, you know, we should mention for newer listeners or maybe folks that have not checked out uh, the uh, website again, and again, we only have about a minute or so to go. Uh, what, can, what can people see on that website? We have lots of information at the website. Uh, the Yard and Garden News is our regular uh, newsletter that goes out twice a month. If you're interested, you can sign up for the mailings that will come on that. We also have a fruit and vegetable newsletter. It's uh, really more for commercial folks, but I love reading it because I can see what's going on with uh, fruit crops, all the insects on fruits, the insects on vegetables that are uh, timely. You can get an update from our extension educators. You can search for what weed is that or what insect is that. You can look at a lot of pictures of disease problems with by plants. So if you have an oak and want to know what might be wrong with that, you can go through those pictures. So at extension. So many things to see. Yes, so many things. Yeah, extension.umn.edu. Mary, thank you so much. Always a pleasure working with you, and uh, we'll have another show next week, right? Always a pleasure, Denny. Great to be with you. All right. Stay healthy and stay cool during this hot time. Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.